everybody. Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. This is number 70, I believe. Um, and uh, it's been a while since we've done one of these, uh, so I apologize. Uh, just from a scheduling standpoint, it didn't uh, really work out, but that's all right. Um, we're, doing, we're talking about uh, the best picture of 1978, according to the Academy, of course. Um, and as always, to discuss such matters we've got josh long josh hey how you doing you know you know it's interesting you and i were talking off mic for a few minutes okay. uh, before we started recording and uh you gave no indication of being tired uh-huh. of being exhausted somehow the minute i start recording you look like you are on the brink of falling asleep <laughs> i don't know what it is about having a mic in front of your face that you just there's something soothing about it well i used to sleep is? with a microphone in my face okay that's yeah. what it is yeah it's uh it was all like your parents you they know wanted to keep me away from radio they would just they would just put a, they would just shove a mic in your face when you were a kid mm-hmm. you know as you would go to sleep because they they wanted to preserve every memory <laughs> of little josh um Ugh. yeah and that's just, weird uh, that is weird it's a weird thing but they mm. still have all those recordings of you as you slept and they're terrifying yeah you just scream you just screamed all the time yeah a lot of a lot of weird demon things i was saying <laughs> in my sleep back then you're speaking latin backwards it's yeah. very strange uh but thankfully every you've gotten that out of your system i assume right got that exorcist in and we're taken care of absolutely uh oh reed would have been thrilled so because mm. he loves the exorcist as well oh, yeah yeah so uh let's see i'm trying to think if there's any uh announcements oh okay there is one it has not been uh it hasn't been announced on the website yet um but i've provided them all the necessary information um so September 19th in La Mirada, there is the second Alpha Omega Con. Uh, I was there last year and had a table and got to talk with a lot of people, and it was a lot of fun. It is a Christian comics and pop culture convention, and I'm sure people hear that and they immediately think, oh, that sounds really awful because it's going to be just a celebration of Christian film and Christian art. Uh that is not necessarily what it is. There are certainly there are Christian comic books which I I've heard are actually pretty good. I haven't read any, but um, they are, those are fairly well represented. But uh, you know there was a notable difference between the people that I talked to at, for example, the International Christian Film Festival and at Alpha MegaCon. Alpha MegaCon, it is a it's very much a comic convention crowd. They just happen to be Christian, so mm-hmm. they like movies. They like television uh they like comic books of all sorts and so uh it was actually very it was very encouraging to go last year um and just be amongst people that are very specifically like me mm-hmm. uh at comic-con you get a lot of nerds and that's fun and then at the international christian film festival i was amongst christians and that was fun but Alpha MegaCon is this really nice, uh, sweet spot. And so uh, we will have a table there. And then uh, I will be doing a, a panel, um, the, the title of which I have once again forgotten. Uh, it's, it sounds really complex, but I think I might need to shorten it up. But, um, but yeah, it'll be about the role of discernment and personal conviction uh, in approaching film and approaching art in general. Uh, some of the people that will be there, uh, a pastor named Fred Price, who I've met 
in numerous capacities. He do- frequently does panels at Comic Con, mm. um, and then he was on a pan- he I believe moderated a panel at Alpha MegaCon last year. So uh, I know him fairly well. Uh, I've been trying to get him on the show, but he's a very busy person. Um, friend of the show, Jason Eakin, will be there, which will be a lot of fun. And then uh, Reed Lackey will also be on the panel, as well as another person who, because it's not set in stone, I won't say what it is, but I'm very excited to have him there. Um, Josh, unfortunately, will not be there because you are going to be out of town at a wedding. Probably. Prob- what? That's TBD. I, if I'm not there, I will be doing something else. So, Oh. Yeah. So... One thing's for sure, you don't want to go to Alpha Omega Con and meet our listeners. Is that what you're saying? That's for sure. Okay. Um, well, I was going to use this. The, I was going to use the wedding thing to get us into the deer hunter. Well, let's just pretend. Um, and I, I might still be there. What was that? I might still be at the wedding. Wedding, you say? Oh, there we go. You, I, sorry, you say you might still be going to the wedding. Yes. Okay, because when you said I might still be there, I thought you were commenting on how you know you went to a wedding and it just dragged on and on, and you feel like you could still be there, mm-hmm. and you're just projecting your consciousness elsewhere to keep from just killing everybody because it's just going on and on and on. Now, Tyler, it sounds like you might be speaking from some kind of personal experience. I am. Uh, so, okay. The Deer Hunter, directed by Michael Camino, uh, written by Derek Washburn, and then, uh, that's the official, like, screenplay credit, and then there's a story by credit with four names that I didn't write down. Mm. Uh, so, as we mentioned in our Kramer versus Kramer minisode, which is a while ago, um, I did not remember if I had seen, uh, The Deer Hunter, I, re- I remembered certain things about it, but I wasn't sure if it was through cultural osmosis or, or what. Um, and then in watching it again last night, um, I discovered that yes, uh, a lot of it, a lot of it, a lot of it, of it. Um, and I had watched it in, in its entirety in school. Um, and, uh, had forgotten a great deal of it. So I'm actually happy that I rewatched it. Um, and, it is not, you know, it's a movie that has moments of brilliance and and is really effective at times. I think the performances, uh, especially, and some of the character stuff. And, uh, you know, in the Kramer versus Kramer uh, minisode, I talked about how I, I, I had a memory of, uh, I said, the Russian roulette scene. What I had forgotten <laughs> was that there are many Multiple. Russian roulette yeah. scenes. Um one in particular, well, it's, that is the most memorable, I think. It's tough. It's tough they're to say. Memorable. They're all memorable, and they're they all have different uh, impacts. Yeah, um, which is good because to go back to the to the idea of Russian roulette is terrifying as it is. Um, to go back to that over and over could become tiresome, and the impact could lessen a little bit. Mm-hmm. But by changing the stakes of it um i think they they maintain the the impact which Mm -hmm. is good that's a good call on their part um but yeah but for those that don't know um the deer hunter is a a three-hour film um that also is sort of a three-act film yeah um I mean, every film is three acts, but this one is so clearly split up into different sections. Yeah, there's it's the wedding, 
the war and then the aftermath, I guess. Yeah, and so it's it's about this this working class uh, mining town in Pennsylvania, um, and even within that, within uh, within working a small town, uh, it tells the story of a very specific community of people. Uh, of Russian descent, which I find particularly interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, ha- I did have the thought of like, okay, so these are characters who, though they are American, you know, the the toast that they give, the type of wedding that they're doing, uh, it is very Russian. So they do sort of identify. Yeah, they still uh, hold to a sort of old world uh, traditionalism. Yeah. And so I found I found that interesting, the idea hmm. of that. And then I wondered, and, and I thought, why Russian specifically? And I thought, is that meant to tie into the concept of Russian roulette? Um, hmm. And uh, just thinking of, I don't know. It's uh, I and I, I didn't have a whole lot of time to to think about it, but it is something that I found interesting. And hmm. frankly, a detail like that is great for me. I love that because. They could have just made this like a small southern town and just had their names be Jones and Smith and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, but they kept it to a, a specific community and and maybe I the I think the idea of of them being descended from uh, you know to the point that I think even one of their one of the main characters his mother like she has an accent like she clearly he is maybe like a first generation hmm. uh, American and so. I did have the thought that, you know, there's there is an idea of, well, our family is still kind of new here in America, mm-hmm. and we love it here, um, and so let's go off and fight for our country because that's what you do when you love your country, mm-hmm. and we do love this country, and so, uh, you know, maybe it's that I'm not really sure, but yeah, maybe either way, I like that detail, and uh, and I won't be going into his, I won't be talking about every single detail, but uh, that was something that specifically jumped out at me. But um, but yeah, so it the first act is a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. I thought this was going to break down one hour in for each section, um, but no, the first one is a solid eighty minutes, really, um, and that's the character, you know these. One character is is getting married before he and two other guys uh, go off to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like it's happening in real time. It does have that quality, yes. Yeah. Um, certainly, once the wedding starts. Yeah. Um, and yeah, here I think maybe from a character standpoint, the beginning is the part I have the toughest time with. Mm-hmm. because these characters are thoroughly unpleasant and I do not like spending time with them mm-hmm. and I do not sympathize with them one iota. And then when they're getting drunk, that doesn't really help any. does not help. <laughs> uh, it only exacerbates things. And uh, and while the presence of John Cazale is always welcome, mm-hmm. this was his last film, hmm. um, The uh, his character is very annoying and you wonder why people are hanging out with him, but you also wonder why they're hanging out with each other. And you almost get like, while these characters spend a lot of time laughing, I feel like they're, they're very unhappy. And that, yes, of course it will be terrible when their lives are shattered by Vietnam. But, and I know I'm not supposed to be thinking this for a number of reasons, but part of me thought like, yeah, but, 
what are their lives anyway? Maybe maybe they need to be shattered a little bit, you know, uh, not shattered like almost just like as a as a change of pace. How about a different kind of misery? Hmm. Um, and it's almost like the uh, I guess in that in terms of that, it almost seems like there's a sense of misery that the filmmaker is feeling that's maybe connected to the the horrors of war and things like that and maybe like sort of a cultural unhappiness that then i feel like if that can seep in too much to the to the first act which should be the happy part mm-hmm. that can actually damage the effect of how bad the war seems i i, I, I really I don't, know. don't know it's i find myself wondering if it's just because this is a re- response that i've had to certain certain movies where you see specifically men hanging out and acting a certain way, Mm -hmm. laughing and getting drunk and ribbing each other and and all that. Um, And I find those scenes so thoroughly unpleasant. Mm -hmm. Um, Even a movie like Diner, where you even have some characters that are are kind of neurotic, but just the way that they interact with one another is so is frankly so different than the way I interact with my male friends mm-hmm. um, that I, I can't, um, like, if these characters, my first thought is, and this is probably a little judgmental of me, but, like, if these characters need to get drunk this much, are they really happy? Do they really mm-hmm. enjoy hanging out with each other? Or are they just drinking buddies and that's and that's basically it? I don't know. Yeah. It's, and so it might just be that I'm very disconnected from frankly an entire you know the way a lot of men in the u.s hang out Hmm. um and and i'm probably being a little bit judgmental of that you know maybe not everybody likes to spend five hours having an in-depth conversation about their (laughs) feelings and art you know what i mean (laughs) to me that's the best thing (laughs) ever it's the best you know and 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 connecting with somebody on an emotional level Mm -hmm. and they are connecting on an emotional level but they're also again really drunk <laughs> and seem to hate each other. But then I realized that I make fun of my friends all the time and it would appear that I hate them. Don't get me wrong. I do, but I don't want it to appear that way. Um, so it. it's not the best ruse. Uh, if I just <laughs> no. say I hate you. Yeah. It seems, seems like you're putting your cards on the table yeah. a, little, a little more than you might want to there. Uh, um, this is on me. <laughs> one particular memory that I have of seeing that, uh, the wedding scene is that, I don't want to say that this is because of the movie, um, but I got so tired and like sleepy and delirious that there was a moment that was at the end of like a dance or a song or something Mm -hmm. where everybody clapped and I started clapping because I was out of it enough that I was like, oh, you know that you have that instinct. If you're in a group of people and other people start clapping, you're like, there's a reason to start clapping. And somehow I was so delirious that I just, I started clapping along with the movie and then realized I was sitting in my living room and was like, oh, that's, that's weird. (laughs) That's very strange. Isn't it? That's the only time I think that's ever happened to me. And I, I can't say whether that's because that part of the movie was moving so slowly that I was out of it they or just got lulled into it is, it is a hump to get over because the wedding sequence and like the dancing mm-hmm. and I understand, you know, I kind of somehow in other movies, 
I like that. I like the lives of characters being yeah. really explored and allowing us to live in their experience. Mm-hmm. I usually like that. Um, but I think it's because I find the characters so unpleasant and that I don't care about any of them. Mm-hmm. And with every passing minute, they become more irritating to me. Yeah. Um, I, I don't remember disliking the characters, but I do remember not connecting to them very much in the wedding scene. Now I did connect to them a lot once we get into the war. Sure. And I guess you could say that's part of what the movie is trying to do is after you've seen these characters just kind of in their normal lives, then you transpose them into something very terrible that we can't relate with. And it maybe becomes more, uh, maybe we can connect to it more. You know, it's, I, one thought that I did have along those lines is that one of the things that bothers me about these characters, is they seem very directionless. Like the, the, there's working in a mine, getting drunk and going hunting when they can. And that's the only joy they really get. And they're kind of going in all directions. And the thing about war I say this as though I've been to war. The I have thing not. about war. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What's the, the deal, deal with war? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the thing about it is that at the very least, it will provide somebody with tremendous focus. They mm. know the thing that they have to do, even if the thing they have to do is simply survive and get home. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, you put a character in a war situation and there's instant motivation. Yeah. And there's instant conflict too, which is actually one thing that generally turns me off from war movies. I think is that it's kind of like pre manufactured conflict. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, it's war. So they're trying to kill other people and other people are trying to kill them. That's, that's happening all the time. So I, I feel like that, can can turn me off sometimes because if that's just the conflict it's like i already know the conflict of that i already know the stakes i feel like it's just that has been done before so the the war film is when you really have to do some kind of twist on i think to make it interesting and still engaging and i think something about them being like in the i mean they're not really called i guess pow camps i guess right Um, but it's yeah it's like a smaller camp like there's yeah. only a handful of prisoners it's just like a little almost like a little prison out uh, prisoner outpost or yeah something, something like that, like that. And so something about them being in that and uh, i think i i think it, the movie does a good job of hitting home the foreignness of of uh americans in vietnam yeah that you know in world war ii there's still uh, a connection to you know to europe like a lot of the people fighting in world war two on the American side were descended from Europeans. So there right. there's still a familiarity there and in, in well, customs. Just, it's and, a Western, right. You know, it's still the Western world. Yeah. So, um, and that's one of the things that people have talked about a lot about Vietnam is it being a, you know, a very different world. And I think this was a, I think this is a movie that got that part right, I think, and, yeah. and helped to hit that home. Although I was reading some reviews and the film has, since it was released, it got some criticism. Um, mm-hmm about the depiction of the Vietnamese. Not that, it, you know, I, the thing is, if you, I'm fine with showing the enemy as primarily your enemy. Just mm-hmm. it very much puts you in the mindset of the characters. I'm fine with that. But it certainly does make them look particularly monstrous mm-hmm. um, and sadistic. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we think of the, hmm, I was about to say the, the, the essential POW movie, my instinct is to say Bridge on the River Kwai, but I guess there's like Stalag 17 as well. Uh, or Schindler's List, maybe. 
Yeah, but I don't think it's not a particular like a, camp, really. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think of it as like a POW thing. Like that's a ho- that's true. That's true. There's I like World War II and there's Holocaust. Yeah. And even though they're at the same time, they're very different. They're different things. So yeah, yeah. I would say Bridge on the River Kwai probably. And I feel like in that one, um, although I do really love Grand Illusion, um, and that yeah. has some interesting things as well. But um, and nobody, you know, nobody catches catches the uh, the essence of war better than Jean Renoir. <laughs> um, but in those, you know, because the characters are living in pretty close proximity to the people that are, you know, to their captors, uh, the film, I think, wisely, a, a film like Bridge on the River Kwai wisely gives their captors a personality. Yeah. One that, even if it's not one we can understand and one that we're not in sympathy with, it's one that maybe we can find somewhat relatable somewhere inside of us. And there's none, yeah. there's none of that in the deer hunter. No, there's I'm, not. I'm well, not sure if that's necessarily a criticism, but it is something that bothered some people. I can see that. But then at the same time, I, I feel like the, at least in the comparison to bridge in the river, quiet, it's a different type of, uh, of, uh, prisoner yeah. captor relationship. Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> bridge, the river, quiet has a little bit of the sort of Hogan's heroes thing where sure. there are, uh, they're commanding officers that understand each other, have sort of a, a rule of law that they mm-hmm. adhere to, you know, Geneva convention and all that right. sort of thing. But I think it was true in Vietnam that there wasn't as much of that happening. Um, that yeah, was, it was not a very stru- It was not a structured war. Right. So it's, it's, that's more showing a relationship between, these guys have been captured and probably the grunt soldiers that have captured them. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't think it's outlandish to think of them being extremely cruel to, to, uh, to prisoners. I mean, this is, these are the people that eventually were connected with like the Khmer Rouge and all these people yeah. who like murdered all their own c- civilians. So it's not, I don't feel like a movie has a responsibility to show the humanity of right. Viet Cong captors or uh, capturers. Capturers. That's the wrong word, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's uh, it's not something that necessarily bothered me. I think what I think what got to me about the the war section is maybe something that could lend itself to allowing the other side a little bit more humanity, which is it's, it feels really rushed and it almost feels like by trying to do the, the Russian roulette thing, which winds up being, you know, a a nice little war metaphor there. The idea that like, it's always just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. They're like, Oh, uh, you know, I pulled the trigger, nothing happened. So I didn't die now. Uh, You know, I didn't die today, but then it could always happen tomorrow or even in a few minutes. And that one of them is eventually going to die. Yeah. Um, quite literally the idea of there's a bullet with your name on it and Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of time. So, uh, while I do appreciate it from a metaphorical standpoint, um, it almost felt like they wanted to wait, make a war movie without actually making one. Um, because it's surprisingly narrow in its scope. Not that every war movie has to be big, but I feel like, you know, when I think of a movie like platoon, for example, Mm -hmm admittedly it's an ensemble and they're fighting these, these big battles. But even, even before they go into the camp, uh, not camp, but whatever the prison, the mm-hmm. prisoner situation, let's just say that, um, even before they're that you see one North Vietnamese soldier blow up some women and children. 
Then you see Robert De Niro light that man on fire and then shoot him. And then you see an American helicopter come in with John Savage and Christopher Walken. And then there's an explosion and they all like fall down, cut to the prison thing. Hmm. And part of me is like, so literally the only battle we see is one guy, then another guy. How did Robert De Niro get there? Is the rest of his platoon dead? What about this random soldier who's walking around? Like it just, Hmm. it seems, I don't know. It almost seemed like the director didn't want to be bothered with the bigness of war and was way more interested in exploring certain emotional aspects of it, which I can relate to. But to me, it feels like the reality of it goes away when you turn it into like one guy versus one guy, like these almost rogue soldiers Mm -hmm. who then find themselves in this seemingly rogue type prison outpost. I don't know. It's just, Hmm. it's a weird thing. And maybe I've been spoiled by movies that have come after the deer hunter. Maybe. Um, but, uh, but those sequences in the, in the prison thing, uh, with the Russian roulette are very powerful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people talk about De Niro and they talk about, Christopher Walken, both of them are great. John Savage, as the third guy, um, he it's clear they've been in this situation for a while, and what's happening is the guards are forcing the prisoners to play Russian roulette, and then they're placing bets on who's going to die. And so, you know, when it's when it's your turn, you gotta sit there and put the gun to your head, and there you go. And this has been happening for a while to the extent that even when John Savage and Robert De Niro, when their characters are just sitting in the pen, like waiting for it to happen, every time John Savage's character hears a click, he reacts as though the gun were to his head. Um, and it's a, it's very much almost like a uh, Pavlovian sort of mm-hmm. thing that like when you hear that click, there's the realization that it could have just as easily been a loud bang and then you're dead. And just because that gun isn't to your head, that doesn't, you know, you still associate certain emotions with those sounds and it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And so those sequences I thought were very effective. Um, and then the scene where they escape is also very effective and very well done and, and wonderfully acted. Um, and then there's, but then I think to me, the most affection, uh, effective sequence is when Robert De Niro has returned home and is trying to get reacclimated to society. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and just the the brokenness that uh, that other people approach him with, hmm. like he's not. It's not like he's like super well adjusted, but he's not bad, mm-hmm. strictly speaking, especially comparatively yeah. to other characters. Um, but there's just when other people see him, they almost burst out crying immediately. Not be- not merely because oh we're happy to see you, but there's just like this acknowledgement, like this guy has been through something that I will that I do not understand and, and will not understand. Yeah. And, you know, maybe they feel bad for that, that like he had to go and fight for a country they're living in and they feel guilty for it. They feel grateful for it. Like there's just this, and that's where the, the great acting on everybody's part really comes into play Yeah, because they need to be able to convey that without it. Cause these are not necessarily characters that express their feelings a lot. Right. Right. So, um, so uh, because we need to, to wrap up, it's been a while. Sorry, everybody. It's been a while since we've done one of these. And so I wasn't quite sure how much detail to go into. Um, 
What do you think of the movie in general? Like, do you it's, view it favorably or what? I, it's hard to say. Like, I don't feel like I have a strong feeling about it one way or the other. And I remember particularly not really liking the, the wedding sequence, mm-hmm. but like I was saying before, I, I feel like I can see how that's kind of necessary to build into the next two. Mm-hmm. So it's as almost as if it's a trilogy where I don't like the first movie, but I feel like the first movie is necessary in order to get to the emotional depth of the second yeah, like two. Yeah, the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> exactly. <Right? laughs> I, I hated those. I hated four, five, and six until I saw those prequels, and I was like, now I understand who these characters are and where they're coming from. And that scene where Christopher Walken's like, Misa, go to Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> It's very moving. It's very moving. Um, Best supporting actor. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't feel like I have a, uh, I don't have a strong. Oh, sorry. Uh, Josh is reacting to uh, my neighbor's garage door that uh, he will not get fixed. And it is very loud and squeaky. It sounds like a crazy person playing the recorder. <laughs> Maybe that is. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's like oh, time to put the garage door. Every up. time he opens Let's it, he pulls out the here. recorder. <laughs> Good one, son. No one says you're tone deaf, but me. Uh, so anyway, I yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know that I that I like it a whole lot, but I still remember. Like, there's a lot of those sequences that really stick with you. Sure, especially the very end for me. The very yeah. end is the one that, and like, I won't say it in case people haven't. Yeah, it's don't know about it, but. That is probably the the film's lasting legacy is the mm-hmm. the role that that Russian roulette plays in these characters' lives and just some of the iconography like a red headband and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah um, like I said, there are parts of it that are great. The big thing I'm going to make a comparison to another best picture that people of today have a very strong response to. The film reminds me of Crash. Hmm. It is so... The director is so focused on making big points, mm-hmm. and and he's so interested in metaphor, which doesn't bother me, except that it's really clunky and really overwrought. And I would say the over-reliance on the imagery of Russian roulette um, is... It does get as much as, you know from a character standpoint, like the stakes are still there and that's great. But after a while, it's just like, Oh, we're here again. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's odd. Um, yeah, but c- then little, then like little things like, like Christopher Walken and John Savage, like they're together in the war and they're separated from Robert De Niro. And then they land, they're on a chopper that land in the village where he is. They don't, they're not seeking him out they happen to run across him and then like, and then about 30 seconds later, something happens that lands them all in this prison thing together. And I just thought like, why even bother separating them if that's what you're going to do? Mm. Um, and then before that, there's a thing where, you know, uh, at the wedding, the bride and groom have to like drink wine. And the, the MC says, if you don't spill a drop, it's good luck for the rest of your life. And so they're drinking. And then the, bride spills a couple of drops that interest incidentally look like blood spills mm-hmm. a couple of drops on her wonderful wedding dress and stuff like it's just it just seems so i can see it being called a little heavy-handed yeah and again like the the actors really sell it mm-hmm. um but it, it it feels like i don't know if you're gonna go with if you're if you're really gonna really gonna 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 explode most 
in this overt of a way and you really want to delve into things, then obviously that in my view, the next year apocalypse now came out mm. with Lord Vietnam. It explored our involvement there, maybe our involvement in general in the world, maybe the nature of war. Like it deals with a lot of big things and it deals with a lot of metaphor, but it's shot in such a surreal way that it all seems right. Whereas, you know, the film's called, so this film is called the deer hunter. Robert De Niro loves to go hunting deer. And so he goes before he goes off to Vietnam and then he goes after, and then after he can't shoot the deer and all that. It's just like, it's yeah. Images like that, that they just seem so, just so written Mm -hmm. to me. Um, that, uh, that it just, it really kind of took me out of it again still some very effective effective sequences some really great performances um Meryl Streep is also in the film she was nominated for it for supporting actress uh mm-hmm. to me the most emotionally effective stuff is when Robert De Niro comes back and sees her and the two of them have kind of been flirting with the idea of getting together but she's officially with Christopher Walken's character and is committed to him mm-hmm. as well but he is he has not come back from the war yet and uh, so the two of them, you know, of course, we're watching the two greatest actors of their generation mm-hmm. um, with particularly good dialogue um, in which they're saying things, but then there's a lot more that they're not saying, but it, they're still conveying. And so that sequence is really good. Um, but by and large, it's it's a film that I thought was like, you know, it's it's fine. I was happy that I rewatched it. Uh, I find myself feeling like I understand why a lot of it slipped from my memory, mm-hmm. except for a few key things. Yeah. Notably, anything with the Russian roulette and then the irritability, my own irritability <laughs> with the wedding sequence. But um, so I'll take a look at. Uh, so the film won Best Picture Director, Supporting Actor for Christopher Walken, Best Sound, and Best Editing. It was nominated for Actor for De Niro, Supporting Actress for Meryl Streep, Original Screenplay and Cinematography. Now, the other Best Picture nominees were Coming Home, Heaven Can Wait, Midnight Express, and An Unmarried Woman. Now, I have not seen Coming Home. I have not seen An Unmarried Woman, but actually I was doing some research and Unmarried Woman looks great. Um, That's the only one that I've seen. An Unmarried Woman? Yeah, of those four. That's odd. Yeah, I, know. I didn't know anybody that has seen an unmarried woman. Yeah, is it good? It's all right. It seemed like because I, I watched some uh, like clips of it mm-hmm. uh, on a Siskel and Ebert thing. Yeah, and uh, it looked it looked like the kind of thing I would enjoy. Maybe it's I don't think it's the Paul Mazursky one. Yeah, right? yeah. I don't think the right one. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it also I was about to say Paul Bartel, and I thought <laughs> no, he did Death Race two thousand. <laughs> Close. Yeah. Uh, a lot of similarities between those two. Emotionally. No, yeah. Um, no, I, well, you know, a funny similarity, and I was wondering a little bit about this, maybe when you were talking about kind of the heavy handedness, I was going to say, I wonder if that's a little bit something of the time. Uh, and maybe that's what unmarried woman feels like a little bit too. It's like, it, it almost feels like it's trying too hard to make sure you understand she is an independent woman who doesn't right. need a man in her life and yeah. that doesn't define her. And it's like, okay, great. That's all very interesting. Um, but maybe that has some more weight in 1978 than it does today. Probably. Like today, 
I think at least me, I would take that as a given. Like women don't need uh, a husband or boyfriend to define them. I don't, and maybe right. that was the way more people thought in 78. I don't know, but it seems like it feels unmarried woman feels like it's got fire to it. You know, right. like, what, we we're really onto something here. What, what are people going to do when they see this? Yeah. And it's kind of like, yeah, it's fine. Like we all agree with that. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I think the, the late sixties and the seventies is when you got a lot of movies that were made about the changing times. Yeah. Um, and, and I, as I, such, you get stuff like guess who's coming to dinner, which has some good performances, but it's just like, yeah, all right. My mind has been blown. Yeah. Oh wait, no, it hasn't because for any, like the movie seems dated within four years. Yeah. You know? And I think it, it's funny because during that period, I, I think there are a lot of filmmakers who really are onto something in kind of changing the way that movies portray ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like a lot of the mainstream ones kind of have a hint of that, but don't totally get it. Yeah. Like there's so many Cassavetes films that I think are really, really strong and yeah. have really uh, subtle and really thoughtful ways of dealing with very hard things. Yeah. And th- those never feel, those don't feel dated and they don't feel like, right. They don't feel any less relevant now than they did then. Whereas some of these other ones, probably the deer hunter among them don't seem as relevant. Well, it goes back to a thing that you and I have said before, which is when a movie, whether it be Christian or political or whatever, when a movie has a message, well, someday people are either going to agree or disagree with that message. And thus your film will become either dated in an embarrassing way, which is people like, Oh, I can't believe the film was trying to espouse this. Or it becomes a forego- such a foregone conclusion that it is not really relevant. Yeah. Uh, in the, it, or at least it's not cutting edge. It's yeah. not, it's not essential like yeah. it was at the time. Um, and the most you can ever think is like, well, that was kind of bold for its time, but these ones are even not bold for their time. Like, right. Is it bold to say that the Vietnam War was a bad experience for a lot of people in 1978? Everybody agreed with that by then. What I think is particularly interesting, and maybe this is for maybe this is to the Deer Hunter's credit, is that it doesn't seem to be taking a big, you know, compared to Platoon, mm. where you know true. you had some distance on it, and even Apocalypse Now, you had a little bit, you know, you had another years of another years worth of distance on it. Um, it's not a film that seems to be talking about our involvement in Vietnam. No, it doesn't really seem even, to have much to say about that. It doesn't even seem to be really like anti-war in general. It doesn't necessarily seem to be pro-war. Um, it's just kind of in this weird, to the, to the extent that the characters at the end sing God bless America, which is another bit of heavy handedness, but uh, it feels motivated by what the characters are doing. And they sing it in a way, and the the tone of it is not one of, you know, mournful, like, ah, they're singing God Bless America, even after America did this to them. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems sincere. And so, um, so yeah, I think there are aspects to The Deer Hunter that seem dated insofar as its use of metaphor and its use that it is doing, that it's exploring important things, but again, maybe it's to its credit that it's, it's doing bigger things than merely, Hey, let's make an anti Vietnam war movie, which was still a relatively new idea at the time. Vietnam was not that far behind them. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I feel like having not seen an unmarried woman, but like, yeah, you're, you're, 
I feel like I would enjoy it from maybe from an acting standpoint. Yeah, and there are some good. I think some of the uh, the character relationships between her and a few of the other yeah. the, the other characters are, are interesting. Yeah, it's. But yeah, I can also see myself being frustrated. You know, I feel like if you if you explore something emotionally, even if it's something that deals with the way things are, the way the changing times are impacting our characters, even if you're exploring that, as long as you're showing what is happening inside the characters, I think there will be a more of a timeless quality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think of something like a woman under the influence, which deals with any number of things. Yeah. That are kind of of the time and even movies like a movie like faces or shadows, you know, or just, con- you know, Cassavetti's found a way of like, okay, I'm going to explore something, but not for its own sake. I want to, you know, these issues are only important in so far as they have an impact on people. So I want to see what that impact is. Yeah. And so, um, okay. So yeah, I saw heaven can wait. It's fine. I don't know why it's nominated except that it made, it was very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw midnight express. It's fine. I don't love it. Uh, it's, it's just about a, a an American, uh, who's, uh, gets stuck in a, Turkish prison because he was trying to smuggle some drugs and while he's there uh, as I'm sure you can imagine a Turkish prison is not the best place in the world to be Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just about his experiences there Uh, I've heard good things about coming home I think my own uh, general dislike of John Voight uh, kept me away from it but I watched some clips of that as well and it looks like he's doing really good subtle work he would win best actress Jane Fonda uh, he would win best actor Jane Fonda would win best actress hmm. and so I feel like uh, that it wouldn't hurt to to watch that so um, so other interesting 1978 releases uh, looking at this it doesn't seem like that great of a year um, yeah but there are a lot of movies that people still remember um, movies like Grease and Superman and Animal House Dawn of the Dead Halloween um, the whiz to a certain extent. Uh, but then you get stuff like days of heaven and interiors and uh, killer of sheep and um, the last waltz, which is, uh, it's not like that's a super important movie, but it is an interesting movie in the, yeah. in the filmography yeah. of Martin Scorsese. Um, a lot of these I have not seen. Yeah. I've seen a good number of them. Um, I've never seen interiors. I assume you have. I haven't. No. Oh, Okay. Um, which is Woody Allen's tribute to uh, Bergman. Seems like I should see that, doesn't it? it? Yeah, it really, I feel like you're... <laughs> now, if only Wes Anderson would do a tribute to Interiors. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so looking at this, and just... Because even if I haven't seen a movie, you know, you can still understand the impact of some movies on the culture and on film history in general. And 78 is not that strong of a year when you look at that, except when it comes to mainstream films that are mostly, that are certainly not best picture material. Nobody's mm-hmm. going to nominate Superman or Dawn, yeah. or Dawn of the Dead. Maybe Days of Heaven. Yeah, that, that wouldn't surprise me if that had been. Although, maybe he was a little bit ahead of his time back then. Maybe that movie. I mean, look at that compared to the other nominees. And granted, like I say, I've only seen Deer Hunter and then one other of them. But what I know of those, they're so such different movies than Days of Heaven. Uh, it just doesn't seem like. I don't know, yeah, doesn't seem like that sort of thing was in contention. Um, yeah, I guess not. I mean, it did. It won cinematography. Um, yeah, as it should have. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, it's hard. Malick always seems to like anytime his films get any kind of Oscar recognition, um, especially if it's picture, I, you know, thin red line was nominated for picture as was Mm -hmm. tree of life. Yeah. Um, and I always find myself thinking like, huh, (laughs) interesting. (laughs) He always seemed to just be operating completely off the grid. Yeah. If Hollywood, you know, for Hollywood to take notice of him, it fascinates me. Yeah. Um, in, in any way. And so, uh, yeah, so maybe days of heaven is something that like an argument could be made of it being like, deserving best picture of the year certainly a nomination um yeah but yeah i don't this is one of those rare years where i don't feel very strongly i mean i i really like superman and i love dawn of the dead and i love halloween mm-hmm. um but i understand but those aren't best picture material so in the context of best picture sure why not deer hunter who cares mm-hmm. you know like <laughs> uh nothing else is jumping out at me except maybe days of heaven so, um, and maybe I would feel differently if, uh, if I saw coming home, which again, I've heard good things about yeah. covers a lot of similar material. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so we'll wrap up and I'll ask you the thing that, uh, that I usually ask you, which is, um, if somebody said, Hey, I was gonna, I was thinking of watching the deer hunter. What would you say? Would you warn them away from it? Or would you say, yeah, go ahead. Or, you know, what would, what would your response? Be? I feel like my response would be, well, it's long. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I have, I, I don't know that it's bad enough. That I think of it as bad enough for me to tell someone like, don't see that movie. Yeah. Um, but I could see someone easily walking away thinking that was a waste of time. Yeah. I, uh, I think if somebody said I wanted to watch the deer hunter, my first question would be why? <laughs> yeah. Not why, like you shouldn't, but, right, but what are you what's looking the to get out of right. it? You know, frankly, I feel like these days, a lot of people would watch it for one of two reasons. One, it won best picture Two, That's why I saw it's it. considered a solid war movie. Yeah. Or, or, an, you know, an interesting war movie or for the performances. Maybe if you sure. wanted to see De Niro street yeah. walking, yeah. if you were interested to see, Hey, Christopher Walken, the guy that we associate with just a very specific type of performance. Now he won an Oscar at one point. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back and watch that. And you certainly will see a very different Christopher Walken than you're used to now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. But if someone said, well, like, Oh, you know, I just wanted to see like a really, I want to see like a good examination of Vietnam. I would probably say watch Platoon. Yeah. Watch Apocalypse Now. Watch any number of other movies that will do it in a way that I find infinitely more effective, both philosophically and emotionally. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, there's not much reason to watch it. If somebody wanted to watch it for a complete... Uh, if, if a war movie completist or a best picture completist... Or a Christopher, you know, or like an acting, because like, you know, you've got some powerhouses there. You've got yeah. Meryl Streep, De Niro, Walken, you know, uh, that's fine. Go right ahead. Um, but yeah, it's just, there. there's just nothing about the film that requires, it's not required viewing. No, I don't so. think so. All right. Uh, we will leave it there because this has already been going on longer than I wanted it to. Just like that wedding. Just like that wedding. Oh, boy. Hang on, clap along, clap along with this job. <laughs> oh, that's, um, <laughs> where am I? So, um, 
yeah if you have any thoughts uh i would if anybody else has seen uh, the deer hunter and you agree or disagree with us we would appreciate uh, some comments in the comment section or you can email me tyler at more than one lesson.com or josh josh at more than one lesson.com you can follow me on twitter at more lessons you can follow josh at the josh long at the josh long and then you can also uh, like us on facebook so uh thank you everybody for listening josh thanks for being here you're welcome and we'll get you next time bye <laughs>